there. This is Cassia. And this is Brian. Welcome to The Oven Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and Knights of the Old Republic. Spoiler alert for the Knights of the Old Republic series and the Star Wars films, TV shows, and all other media. This is where the fun begins. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Ebon Hawk Podcast. Today, we have an extra special guest with us. Um, coming back, uh, he was in episode 59, uh, talking about Kashik and the indigenous experience there. Uh, welcome back, Huni, to the podcast. Thanks for coming back on. Uh, welcome. It's great to have you back. It's great to be back, Brian. Um, happy to meet you. Happy to be back on the pod. And um, yeah, I was very happy with uh, the last episode I was on, and I'm very very happy that they got such um, positive feedback i was ex- expecting a little bit of negativity but maybe that's just me being a pessimist and having gone to the states and done the interpretation over there for uh for folks educated in the american school system and dealing with indigenous history which is let's call it abridged um but yeah it's really really good to be back i'm very excited and yeah i, I love me some kotor so yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, episode 59, that was uh, back before I joined up onto the podcast. Yeah. So I was just listening to it as a, uh, you know, just an avid podcast listener, uh, Evan Hawk fan. So I have to say the episode was really excellent. It was really, you know, interesting, educational, you know, very important topics that people need to familiarize themselves with. So yeah, so I I was really excited when, uh, you know, Cassia told me we were having you back on to uh, uh, talk a little bit uh, today about the Tuscan Raiders. So yeah, for sure. Uh, after our episode, I got really, uh, really hyped and excited. And I, I think I messaged Cassie a good couple times, you know, here's a topic here, here's this, here's that, you know, uh, I think we bent, went back and forth about what I could do and what I could talk about coming back on the pod. So um, yeah, yeah, really excited for this, for sure. Yeah, I always kind of envisioned uh, having you on again for talking about the, the sand people in Tatooine. And it was just kind of like, finding the right time because I knew it was coming. So it was just like on my short list of episodes, like Huni comes on to talk about the sand people. So I really enjoyed having you on for episode 59. It would not have been as successful or as informative uh, without you. So I'm thrilled to have you on again and thanks for coming. Yeah, no problem. I, I just hope I'm a little bit more relaxed this time. I, I listened back, um, whenever you sent the copy and I, <laughs> I, I cringed my, my whole, my whole head went into my shoulders a good couple times, just listening to my voice, but yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited still. Uh, for sure. It happens to me too. Uh, I mean, listening to episode 71, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> that is intense. And I like, that one was hard for me to listen to, but uh, you're doing great. And episode 59 sounded excellent. So, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We'll get through it together. Right. And now anyone who... Ha- <laughs> Anyone who hasn't listened to episode 59, uh, you absolutely should. Because as you know, we've just mentioned, it's excellent and a really important episode. So definitely go check that out. But for anyone who hasn't listened to it yet, Huni, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about... Um, you kind of your backstory and uh you know what you have going on uh, we want to know a little bit more about you Alrighty. um so side note off the top i've been watching mythic quest and there's a character in the show called cw 
and his whole thing is talking about backstory. So the mention of my backstory, I just <laughs> of you in my head. I'm very excited. Um, so yeah, Sagazaguago, Ali Huni Yungats, Aguzaslono, Oguaho. So I am Ali Huni David. I'm from Aguzasne. Uh, I'm Wolf Clan, and I am a big old nerd, big old indig nerd. There are many of us. You know, they're hidden away. And yeah, I've made it a point to find many within my community and have a little D&D group with a couple of my buddies from back in the day. Um, but I am an artist. I am a big old nerdy indigenous artist. And growing up in Akwazasne, I've been enthralled and um, I guess fascinated and obsessed really with the history the legends, the tales, the lessons uh, told by our elders. And this has been something that I've studied, um, loved, and really absorbed wherever I can since I was a kid. And whenever I was a kid, I would hear these stories. I'd hear these legends told by our elders, even if it was just, you know, during Mohawk class, just one of our, our teachers just kind of, you know, lazily telling the story after telling it 30 times. I would always see the images in my head and I really feel like that without that I wouldn't have become uh, any type of artist because just those pictures, those images and the way that I saw each one of these legends playing out, those characters really stayed with me and, you know, really influenced the stuff that I was into. So I was also a rowdy kid and my father sat me down one day and threw Star Wars in front of me. And uh, for an entire day, uh, me and him watched uh, A New Hope, uh, Empire Strikes Back. And I think we got most of the way through Return of the Jedi and got a pizza. Um, so yeah, that was my indoctrination into the, the way of the wars. And from there, uh, yeah, uh, here I am now, a big old native nerd doodling just like I have been since back then. So. Yeah, that's awesome. And your your artwork is incredible. So anyone who's not familiar uh, with your art uh, should definitely go on to Instagram. It's at uh, Huni, which is H-O-N-N-I-D, uh, and check out some of the uh, drawing and illustration that you do there. It's it's just fantastic. Uh, do you have a favorite subject that you like to tackle? Um, or uh, Probably clones. Uh, yeah, in, in recent days, uh, I've been dealing with a little bit of art block because I think of exhausted my uh clone stuff um but definitely clones um a little bit on that i guess whenever i saw attack of the clones uh not with my father because um phantom menace offended him greatly <laughs> he decided he didn't want to pick it up uh, uh for vcr or anything and you know we left that theater in a big harumph but i remember being kind of you know i was really excited because it ends on such a high note anyway side note over uh, one of 30 we're probably going to get into, but uh, yeah, so uh, Attack of the Clones, Tamora Morrison, um, a Maori man. I saw him, and as a little kid, I, I saw Rez Uncle. Um, we have <laughs> Rez Uncles around here, uh, people that whenever you're a kid, they look out for you, they have their eye on you, they give you advice, they give you rides. If it's just to go swim or whatever it is, they teach you to sing, they give you a song, uh, they give you a rattle and, you know, encourage you to uh, sing along. And, you know, they're not family, but they are family. So in my head, whenever I saw Tamora Morrison, he looked, you know, he had he had the look, he had the, 
the stance. He was stoic. And to me, he looked like a Red's uncle. So as a little kid, I always thought that he was Mohawk in my head. I always thought he was at least, you know, uh, indigenous. And yeah, he is. And it's such an awesome thing to see. So my obsession, I guess, with clones is heavily rooted in that, the familiarity of, you know, having those uh, troopers around. And granted, yeah, they <laughs> evolve into not the best thing, but seeing that as a little kid and then seeing episode three and tomorrow taking that bucket off so many times, you know, over a CG body, it still had such a huge influence on me because that was uh, another anchor, uh, a big anchor for um, yeah, my indigeneity. I felt was in the thing I was obsessed with. So yeah, clones for sure. And then you have a OC named Clay. Can you tell us a bit about him? Uh, I do. Um, yeah, uh, his name is Odala, which uh, translates to Clay. So in high school, uh, I took a creative writing course and it was me and mostly other, mostly a bunch of uh, girls talking about stuff and their feelings and these things. And I had written a Kwakio spy that was uh, kind of like a 007 character. And his entire goal was to hunt down perpetrators of the residential schools. And that evolved over time into Clay, my OC. I, I kept the name because I loved the idea of uh, Odala. I love the idea of clay and the fact that it is so instrumental within our culture. And my middle name is Clay. I'm named after a Red's uncle actually uh, around here. His name's Clayton. He's a good friend of the family and helped my dad whenever he was in uh, a lot of strife. So there's a lot of layers to the name itself. But yeah, Clay is a clone boy. He runs around. He has a knife. He do the shoot shoot, the bang bangs and his character and many of the OCs that surround him have indigenous uh, names. They have Kinyakahaga uh, names. So you have Odala slash Clay, who is my main OC, who I threw a, a long, long uh, process of my indecision uh, finally made. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking of all the variations of Clay that I made before I, I, I finalized it after talking with uh, Kayla. Uh, clones deserve better. She's good people and helped me through that process. She made many uh, OCs within the clone community for sure. And um, yeah, since then I've been envisioning as all OC creators do um, a story, a comic book, uh, you know, a whole saga of events that surround Clay. And many of his uh, compatriots have indigenous names. So there's Jeeks, who translates to fly. Uh, Ogwali, the older, uh, more grizzled brother to Clay that teaches him a lot, his name translates to bear. Um, so I kind of wanted to have him have that, um, that warmth whenever I'm writing them, writing him in my, in my stories and that, and that protective nature. But yeah, it's a big old nerdy romp. So many layers and so many details, but uh, yeah. <laughs> One detail I love is... Uh... Clay's clone trooper number is what? What is it? Uh, CT fourteen ninety one. Yeah. <laughs> the the so, year before. <laughs> yeah, because it's funny because like uh, this week I finally got above one thousand five hundred followers on uh, hey. on Instagram and 
it felt like forever I was just stuck at like 1,492 and I'm like come on just like can people just like can eight people just help me out I don't want to be at like 1,492 yeah. <laughs> so summary of of what we were kind of talking about is if you're not following Hooney on Instagram you should you should get on that and he has some some great clone artwork and thank you thank you great artwork so and Side note, sorry. Um, I just realized that I have it marked down on the calendar. Clay turns a year old on June 24th. So oh. that should be that should be a good time. I'm going to try and do like draw this in your style uh, type thing. Oh, cool. But um, yeah, he's come a long way since then. And I yeah. really love seeing all the interpretations and um, artwork that people in the community have made uh, as a tribute to him because I was so indecisive and in my own head about it as I usually am about all decisions and all things. And yeah, I'm really happy to see that the clone community, the art community, the Star Wars, the fandom on um, Instagram has really taken to it. And you know, so many people enjoy my artwork and stick around whenever I talk about heavier issues within you know, uh, indigeneity. So yeah, uh, give me a follow <laughs> or nerdy stuff and then he potentially heavy stories. We. absolutely all right uh well why don't we take a quick break and then we'll be back and talk about the tuscan raiders uh but before we go i wanted to remind everyone that our merchandise store is open uh we've got some t-shirts in there uh we've got hats featuring the uh ebon hawk uh logo on there those are uh pretty cool and we just had our pins released uh recently and those turned out really great so definitely go check those out uh the links to the merchandise store are in our instagram bios or you can go to ebon hawk podcast.square.site and check that stuff out for yourself. All righty. So today we are talking about the sand people and as I kind of just like replay Knights of the Old Republic just like to kind of prepare for this podcast and talk about it and I've really come to appreciate the layers of writing that uh, Bioware put into their world building like throughout the game in Terrace, in Kashik and Tatooine and many of the other um many of the other worlds and I was kind of just like wow they like there are mirrors uh for the indigenous experience definitely in Kashik, but also in Tatooine and there are the sand people on Tatooine um but they're also called the Tusken Raiders and they've been around since A New Hope. What is your kind of view of the Tusken Raiders in in A New Hope, Hooney? Um, they're loud, um, they're savage, and, you know, they have no humanity. They are a representation of the savage Indian that is um, shown in a lot of the early John Wayne movies. And this is heavily where Lucas took his inspiration, was, you know, Stagecoach um, and a lot of those other older westerns. Um, 
you see Tatooine and I really see a frontier for all the content that it shows up in it is always portrayed as a frontier it is uh, portrayed as a land of nomads um, desolate and dry uh, people are scrounging for just the basics just for water and the sand people within the A New Hope are portrayed as you know they're very savage um, they come in they don't really have any words they scamper away whenever Obi-Wan uh, shouts at them in any version that you watch and they're very very surface level and they carry that connotation that uh, savage Indian imagery uh, with their gaffy sticks and the the screeching and they're made to be very inhuman um, and they're very very uh, even with the sounds that they make it sounds like a pig it sounds like a dog it sounds like a donkey and either way you spin it I feel like that is a commentary on indigenous language because it sounds so foreign in our mouths to you know anybody looking on um, and yeah, it feels like uh, a critique if you dig uh, deep enough on those. Uh, well, I guess the critique will t- come a little bit later, but it feels like a commentary, a tribute, and an homage to those old westerns um, and the danger of, I guess, nature as they're represented within the uh, the nature of Tatooine. Yeah, they kind of just tussle with Luke and you don't really <laughs> get any depth from them they're kind of just something luke has to deal with and yeah. uh, kind of just uh forgotten mm-hmm. yeah something to be avoided right yeah for sure yeah and then later on they're kind of seen as more um bodies to be taken down right they're they're an obstacle but they're also uh a nameless faceless uh you don't feel too bad adversary because they all appear um so similar with their wrappings and um, their their banthas and their gaffy sticks they're just an ominous blob to you know do the pews at yeah and Tatooine is definitely influenced kind of like by uh, the western films I think like by the the searchers the John Wayne films and yeah you don't really get much as much depth from the Tusken Raiders uh, in A New Hope as like you would as we do later uh, in different Star Wars stories but I'm trying to remember, uh, do we see any Tusken Raiders in Return of the Jedi? Um, I don't think so. There might be like an audio cue whenever they're they're driving along in uh, Jabba's sail barge, but I, I don't believe so. Yeah. I think we might see some Banthas. Yeah. Yeah, Banthas for sure. Someone's yeah. probably going to have a screenshot and be like, well, actually, you missed the Tusken <laughs> Raider. Yeah it's at this timestamp and like i think you guys are fake fans and it's like oh sorry <laughs> all right so and uh, you you talked about how your dad's favorite star wars movie is the phantom menace and oh yeah uh, he loves it yeah <laughs> and uh, the tuscan raiders do return in the tatooine uh instances in the phantom menace but they're kind of just shooting at pod racers um <laughs> What is your your take on that? Okay. Um, I kind of love their appearance in Phantom Menace. Um, I've been thinking about this a bit. Um, I I have my notes, as I mentioned, but I feel like so much of this I could just just speak on. But in any culture, okay, in any culture, there exist teenagers. There are always teenagers. 
teenagers that are going to go out and get into trouble. They're going to get into some wild things and they're going to do a lot to just, you know, impress the boys as it is, impress their friends around them. So whenever I saw them in uh, A Phantom Menace now as an adult, I, I feel like I, I had like a crotchety old man like reaction to them because they're just hyping each other up like they hit one of the the pods i think it's i think they hit ding anakin's uh pod and yeah he just raises his rifle and all the rest of the boys just start howling with them and they're just all so hyped and like oh yeah i got one but yeah it it, it is so funny to think that these are the the young warriors these are the ones that are trying to like earn their place but in their free time they're like oh yeah uh it's going down and uh the the pod race so let's get down there and uh maybe i can ding one this year or maybe i can take one out because it is such a, a fatal sport it really doesn't matter right but yeah that's that's what i think whenever i see that just a bunch of teens uh doing wild stuff with their friends uh and being a nuisance uh, but it's rooted in that you know the uh the invader narrative there as well but yeah I definitely just see a bunch of teenagers with guns uh, just taking pop shots at these at these racers. Imagine if one of them would have like taken out Anakin. It's like you actually kind of saved the galaxy a lot of yeah. heartache, I think. So I'm like, huh. Yeah. You saved an entire village in like 10 years. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, I wonder. I was just kind of thinking that. And I was like, oh, actually, it's kind of a boon, I think. So... <laughs> Yeah, but um, in Attack of the Clones, I was rereading Skywalker, A Family at War by Kristen Baver, and one instance I, I kind of, that kind of took me by surprise as I was reading it is, of course, like, Anakin totally makes the wrong decision um, to take out his anger at, at losing his mother. But one thing she notes is that Klee Glars says that they're mindless creatures, you know, to Anakin beforehand. And, like, I, and I was kind of like, I wonder if Klee Glars could have, like, had a more nuanced and open perspective if, like, he could have, like, set up Anakin a bit more to, like, not just take out his anger on the Tuscan village in Attack of the Clones. Uh, what do you think about that? Um, I think that goes into stereotypes. Uh, Anakin is coming from a society and a, a culture and a people that have grown with the Tuscans as a constant problem. That's the issue that you run into whenever you're going blood for blood and you forget where the blood started. The Tuscans are portrayed as savage. They are mindless. They are this. They are that. The Redskins, they are savage. They are mindless. They are bloodthirsty. I feel like that is the narrative that is going into this. And you have Anakin, a very, very powerful individual, looking for a fight, looking for some, you know, something, you know, to hurt after losing his mother. And granted, you know, he always had that darkness within him, but the fact that he's already aware and already knows that his actions, whenever he tells the wider society that he belongs to, that he's done this overpoweringly evil act of killing children, of killing women, he erases um, a whole generation of Tuscan raiders, of people, with the fuel and the knowledge that 
he can go back home at the end of the day and his actions aren't really going to be judged because oh great good job you know that's that's however many tuscans or however many generation of uh people that we don't have to worry about that's one less redskin to worry about later down the line and yeah that's the scope that i see that through is that he's coming in with the the knowledge that his actions um are still going to be seen favorably even though he's on this huge uh, blood rage and this murder spree. And within his, you know, his community, and for generations since probably they earned the name Tusken Raider, it's been accepted. You know, it's, it's been okay to do such things, and it's celebrated. And, uh, yeah, that is definitely uh, uh, something that's uh, within our own history that has been uh, celebrated as well. But maybe we can get into that a little bit later. Yeah. I mean, there's some deleted instances, I think, in the Revenge of the Sith script and maybe Attack of the Clones, like that the Tusken Raiders were paid off by Count Dooku to abduct Shimmy Skywalker. And that is an interesting detail. But like at the end of the day, like if that that was part of the canon, like they're just like what they were doing is they they were cogs like in a machine you know like it, yeah. it they weren't the ones endangering shimmy you know so yeah and but yeah like no matter what like what anakin did was wrong and i don't like watching attack of the clones you're not supposed to come out of that and being like what anakin did was okay so yeah um but when you kind of go back 4,000 years in the timeline to the Sand People and Knights of the Old Republic. I didn't realize this, but, like, they're called Sand People. They're not called Tusken Raiders. And just Sand People doesn't sound as, like, uh, it's, like, Tusken Raider. Isn't it, like, a, a name given to them by, like, the off-worlders, you know? Like, yep. yeah. I was just like, oh, that's a good detail because, like, they're one with the sand, one with uh, the environment of Tatooine, and kind of getting more into it. They're trying to protect Tatooine, and I was like, "Oh, it's beautiful," you know. Um, yeah. A small note on the the name situation as well. That is something that's reflected within Haudenosaunee culture for sure. I'm curious what the Sand People would call themselves if they were to introduce themselves to you know the Offworlders as their own people um what how would they self-identify because they never mm -hmm. they're they never from my knowledge and granted it is foggy but from my knowledge they never self-identify as sand people or you know it comes much later but the tuscan raiders and that because within our culture the people of the Haudenosaunee were the people of the longhouse Unguhuwe were the first people but <laughs> some um, some traders came along. They spoke to the Huron, and they asked, "Oh, who are those people? Oh, they're the Iroquois. Oh, what does that mean? They're the meat eaters. They're the flesh eaters. They're cannibals. They're this. They're that. And it's a matter of perspective. And we're still called Iroquois today. We take that name on. Um, <laughs> but it was uh, it was a jab by a nation that." didn't uh you know have the best 
viewpoint of us. Now, granted, within our history, we have had some dark times, and that is uh, addressed within our, the formation of our Iroquois Confederacy, um, within our history, and there's a larger story there, um, how that was solved, how that was uh, dealt with. Um, and yeah, uh, times have changed, but I'm very curious what the sand people would self-identify themselves as. And sand people in general does sound like some kind of, you know, slur. It doesn't feel great to, to say if you're thinking of them as a people, as a nation, as a culture, um, as we have in the fandom and in uh, the Disney era Star Wars content are beginning to shift and see them as a people, uh, as a culture with a language. And um, yeah, so... I'm curious, very, very curious how they would self-identify. Yeah, part of me is like, oh, if I could just inject myself into the Star Wars timeline and, like, just kind of see, like, the Tusken Raiders, like, culture, their art, and, like, like if they dance, like, I would like to be invited, you know, like, I would only want to see it, like, if they wanted me to see it, of course. But, like, I'm just like, oh, I, I want to, like see it because like uh, there's so much more to them than just like you know than than we see in a new hope and uh in the prequels but mm -hmm. yeah for sure um even in kotor they mentioned right that there's uh the tuscan raiders on the outskirts uh beyond anchorhead are more hardened and more uh aggressive and i'm curious if that you know if you look even deeper if that's another nation because you, you take out some of those raiders in that area and the raiders within, you know, the Anchorhead area, they don't care. They don't mind. <laughs> like you're, you're not an instant enemy to them. So I'm curious if that was uh, another nation, uh, another tribe. And within the movie, I think it would be really cool, especially as like an artist myself, to address um, the differences between those, those cultures, those nations. Because I'm sure that they they have a shared identity. Um, if you step back, but I'm curious how they would differentiate themselves from the other nation. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Because the storyteller does mention that the sand people spread throughout Tatooine. So, like, I think that there's uh, there would be many nations, many tribes of sand people, or what. We don't know what they call themselves yet, but to me, like Sand People sounds a little bit better than like Tuscan Raider. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like just kind of like different wrappings. Like, would it kind of be like different, like, uh, I don't know, just like different gaffy sticks and like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, I'm curious too. You could go regional with it, you could even have like, the Tuscan Raider or the sand people that we're familiar with ride banthas and they do this, they do that. But what if these, you know, this alternate nation rode dewbacks? They hunted different things. They had different materials to work with, uh, more abundant uh, womprats, maybe. We don't know. Um, yeah. But other things that they would see as uh, important um, and ways to earn your place and earn your, um, you know, earn your warriorhood but yeah i think that would be really interesting for sure yeah and maybe one one tribe it, like is affiliated like with the crate dragon like Ooh. that would be cool yeah that'd be so. really cool mm -hmm. and i'm curious yeah. if you could get enough tuscan nations together you know you could 
form like at least a seven nation army. Yeah, uh, I do. I do like that song. <laughs> so. I'm sorry. I was, I was stewing on that. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, with Knights of the Old Republic, you get to make uh, light and dark sided choices. It is a RPG with the dark side choice, I think you can just be like, um, I don't care. I'm just going to take care of this village, get rid of them, and just take what I want because it's mine, you know. And then the light-sided choice, um, I believe you get some moisture evaporators mm-hmm. and give it to yep. the, the sand people's chief. Yeah, someone in, in uh, Anchorhead asks you if you can take the moisture evaporators out because they would like to have, you know, a more, you know, peaceful kind of negotiations. So you get to make, as the player, you get to make that choice. And I think in Knights of the Old Republic, that's probably the first time um, if you do the light side, which is kind of the the more canon view of Knights of the Old Republic, um, that's the first time uh, really as an audience you get to see any interaction with the Tuscan Raiders or Sand people beyond, you know, just being this being out in the in the desert right to avoid yeah um i'd love to be as we mentioned just inserting ourselves into situations i'd love to be a fly in the wall of bioware whenever they were writing those stories because can you imagine being handed like so many chunks of canon to just be like all right yeah do what you want to do and then because it's you know so many thousands of years in the past you have such free range to do that and yeah it was uh it's a good time, like especially to think about that. Just like, oh, what would I do with a like chunk of history, chunk of Star Wars like that? It's it's exciting. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting as well that if you go the dark side route, you miss out on like an hour and a half of gameplay of story just by doing that one. Yeah, you know, sure, uh, you can make the argument. Well, I farm for XP, but there's so much content there that you miss out on. Um, if you just go the dark side route. And I think it's the way I see it, it's like a commentary on knowledge and ignorance. You roll into the Tuscan Enclave dressed as you are, they're just gonna attack you automatically. You roll in Tuscan or dressed as a Tuscan Raider, <laughs> you know, they take pause and they see you, but immediately they're interested. Like, okay, he's made the effort, or they've made the effort to sneak in here. Maybe he's important. Maybe he's uh, of some interest, and you immediately end up seeing the chieftain, and you know he is still upset to see you. <laughs> he, it's still not the best day for him, but uh, it's not. You're not approached with blades immediately. You know they're at your back, but they want to see what you're about. Yeah, and like if you are respectful of their customs, you you get a whole lot of great world building that I'm so happy that Bioware didn't just go like Tuscan Raiders bad kill them and star map leave you know mm-hmm. uh, the storyteller uh, if you trade the I believe it's if you trade the crate dragon pearl you get a lot of uh, in-depth like story and world building um, what did you think about that Huni? I thought it was really cool. Um, as I said on our last pod, I, I played this at my uncle's a whole bunch. 
And that was a story and a, a, a bit of the game that I think he might have just gone through and, and played on his own and told me to watch. And I, I was enthralled by it. It was it was crazy. It was uh, really interesting because you're tasked by these, you know, Tusken Raiders, by these people, impress us. Go out, prove yourself, come back, and then maybe, you know, we can um, connect with you further. They encourage you to do this stuff and go take out the, the crate dragon. And whenever you come back, they're like, oh, you did it. And maybe that was just a way for them to get rid of you in like a, a funny way. Like they're just going to be like, oh, yeah, they're going to go over to that nation's area. They're going to get either taken out by the crate dragon, which obviously right away that's going to happen. Or they're going to get taken out by our rival nation. And it can be, you know, maybe that would be a, a point of <laughs> connection between the people. Uh, like yeah you know uh, we sent those guys over oh yeah we took those guys over we took them out like yeah that's that's kind of funny anyway we're gonna shoot each other now or we're not I don't know <laughs> but yeah I found it really uh, found it really interesting because you learn so much about the history the motive and you know so much of about the Tuscan Raiders um, and their history and how they came to be and why they're so apprehensive about outsiders and technology and uh, that encroaching on their land and being so connected to the land after you know straying so far from it and then you know uh, kind of like Icarus coming straight back down into the sand coming straight down into the dirt that became sand um, yeah. yeah it's really really interesting and I think it's one of the key like incredibly strong stories that are told within Star Wars that I really hope they canonize in some way uh, maybe that will yeah. come in with the Kenobi series, because um, I know his book uh, addressed some of that and having more unique uh, Tusken Raiders and speaking from their perspective, um, mm. which was really awesome to see and or listen to uh, audiobooks, artist. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, that they stress that it's an oral history. Yep. passed down uh, for generations that they tell each other face to face because like oral history like it can be so beautiful and and sometimes like more truthful you know than just like people writing stuff down and mm -hmm. I just thought it was like whoever wrote this like backstory for the Tuscans and like this is actually beautiful you know like it it was like unprecedented lore and world building in in my opinion, but just kind of like some of the the basics of the story is like in ancient times, even before a long time ago in a galaxy far far away. That's not what they say, but there were not sand people because there wasn't sand. The world was green. We didn't need to have wrappings, and it's kind of like they built up such a technologically savvy civilization they built up technology they built up walls and they were like i want to like go to the stars you know but then uh the rakatan empire comes and uh then the rakatans were like the first uh i guess colonizers and uh like the rakatans kind of punished them you know like for trying to to free themselves so the sand people broke the machines and then the the builders the the cannons broke Tatooine which in my mind kind of echoes terrorists even though like they weren't really related you know the builders 
the Rakadans left, but the climate was um, forever changed. So the Tuscan Raiders would hide in the caves, but then the, the Sand People came out. They learned to respect nature and kind of populated Tatooine, and they're, they're, they're always going to be connected to Tatooine. But then outsiders came again, and they kind of looked like the Sand People before before that happened. So I'm like, oh, that that's fascinating, you know. But uh, I guess, like, Jawas and Sand People might have been related at one point in time, you know. But uh, what did you think of that story? I, yeah, I really, really liked it. And I really appreciate the tribute to um, indigenous cultures. And I saw a video that talked about how it was uh, an Indian tradition as well. Um, whenever you have an oral history, the idea is that it is a living history. It's, it doesn't live and die by you know, old English words written in a, in a book, in a text uh, long ago and you know respected and adhered to and then adjusted much later on like it was uh you know oh that was them then but this is us now so we're gonna readjust rewrite it's meant to be a living history it's meant to be um taken by each generation understood respected and within Haudenosaunee culture with our storytellers um it's encouraged that you keep the lesson, the teaching, the core of the story true. You can make embellishments where you want to, um, so long as it doesn't contradict that original story, it doesn't contradict that original lesson, because the idea is delivering that lesson in the best way that you can, or um, the most effective way that you can. So as a pseudo-storyteller myself within my community, I've gone to schools, I've gone to our elementary schools, uh, colleges, um, different campuses, and told our stories, told our legends, told our history, and respected the lessons therein. Because I feel like since I was a kid, these are things that I've lived with. These are things that I've learned from and um, had them as an, as an approach to life. You know, you don't get too cocky. You're, you're humble, you respect your elders, you respect your surroundings, you think, you listen before you act, things like that. So whenever I go to an elementary school these days and I tell stories um, that have boisterous characters or you know, larger than life uh, villains, <laughs> I act them out, influenced definitely by like movies these days, but there's a story in particular um, Scundy Wundy and the Stone Giant, and I play those two like wrestlers whenever I'm telling the story to the kids. Um, I play one like more like The Rock, and then the other maybe like John Cena. I don't know. I don't know wrestling. I, I, I reference <laughs> it, but I don't know it. But I bring that bravado to the story, and I'm curious, you know, it, it's punishable by death, but I'm curious if there's other stories that the storyteller shares that are intended for the children, intended for the next generation, intended for those um, kids to grow up into the the ideals, the morals, and the lessons of the Tuscan Raiders, if there's things that they're 
they're told, you know, the little womp rat that could or some kind of story. I don't, I don't know exactly what it would be, but we have parallels within our culture that we, you know, recognize are designed to teach us lessons. Some of them are, you know, don't stay out too late or, you know, the hoof lady will get you or don't stay out too late or, you know, the the witch dogs will get you. There's there's many. There's so many lessons of don't stay out late at night. Um, but I'm also curious what the sand people version of that is and the fact that this storyteller is held in such high regard because he is their history he is them he is their identity he is their past um he holds their future because i saw in some lore diving that i did that if a storyteller within a tribe a nation is killed or passes that nation is doomed basically to collapse in on itself because they don't have a living history anymore they don't have an identity and they're bound to be either destroyed by another nation or just implode on their own so it's interesting that they're recognized and i'm curious where um bioware's writers had their eyes for um, all this stuff because yeah uh, i'm curious if they dove into my culture at all or um if it was mostly uh indian influences or yeah again i would love to be a fly on the wall or you know just I, I don't know how old I was whenever uh, this is being made, but just you know, roll me in. Uh, <laughs> let me, yeah. let me, let me now talk I'm, at you guys. I, I want to see where your influences are. Part of me is just like, as we kind of do these episodes, I'm like, I wonder what they were influenced by. Like, who was who was in the room? Like, mm-hmm. where where the detail came from? And I'm like, oh, I don't know if like that information's out there and I'm kind of like I want to figure it out you know you bring up a lot of good points and I like what you say about like uh you kind of wonder if there were stories for the children because I mean that's why we we tell stories in the first place really is to prepare the next generation for what life is is going to be the lessons to learn to be selfless rather than selfish uh how to grow up how to become an adult how to do good and yeah nah. i'm curious what their um with their relationship to the banthas as well right they uh they're given a bantha whenever they're young and then the bantha that they have they grow with and um care for and maybe we'll get into that a little bit later on whenever we talk about the mandalorian but yeah i'm Definitely. curious what the storyteller would have told them about you know <laughs> the little bantha that could or the little bantha that you know saved its master um yeah there's definitely some parallels within Haudenosaunee culture with uh, a, a particular story about a hunter and his four dogs um that i feel like would be a good parallel and good lesson for those children because um, yeah we respect our our dogs within our culture and i have a little dog named darman and he Aww. is very old Aww. now, and he is a layabout, and I can't wait for him to just have all gray hairs and just slump on the couch. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm curious about that. I wonder if there used to be a whole lot more Banthas before the the outsiders came. But... Yeah. So that's going to wrap up part one of our conversation with Huni. Be on the lookout in the future for part two of our conversation where we talk a little bit more about Tusken Raiders, Star Wars, and the parallels with the indigenous experience. 
Thanks again to Huni for joining us and be on the lookout for part two in the future. Thanks. And you can find us on Instagram at Ebonhawk Podcast. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me on Instagram. It's at Astro underscore Droid underscore. The Ebonhawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. Subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Schuerman at alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Alistair Sounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker at christianwalkermusic.com. This episode of the Up and Hawk podcast has been brought to you by Nikki Dog from Patreon. May the force be with you. We will be back soon. Bye for now. Bye.